Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, any of you you could possibly think of, has its own history, like peanuts, roads, and terror. Mm. Sam, as usual, I want to do all of those. I think we should do uh, peanuts, terrifying road (laughs) users, something Mm. like that. Or we could do the number 1, 13, 16, 18, 21... 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. We could do any kind of number. Uh, you will find out uh, more about that uh, in just a little bit. But I think we should also think about doing some Christmas episodes, Sam Willis. Don't oh, you yes. think? Yes, we should. Um, we've got some, so we'll have to go back through. Uh, guys, if you're listening and you haven't heard our Christmas episode, each year we, we have to do a bit of a splurge and we record a large number of episodes on things like stars and donkeys and mangers and whatever it might be so um unexpected uh, objects and items related to the christmas story and we explore their histories and um so yes james we'll definitely get into that excellent we should probably re-release some of our sort of classic uh, christmas yeah. episodes yeah absolutely yep snow snowmen ice it was all all very good yes Yes. However, for the moment, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, that the history of spots is in fact all about female beauty and false advertising in the 19th century in the United States of America and the strangely titled arsenic wafers, which it was advertised were entirely safe and ensured a blemish-free complexion. It's also all about the diary of Adrian Mole, aged 13 and three quarters, the history of acne, teenagers and dermatology. Who knew? Or who knew that the history of foxes, tally-ho, in fact has (laughs) nothing at all whatsoever to do with fox hunting, but is in fact all about the remarkable sport of fox Tossing, as well as aerial golf, Basil Brush and the history of British light entertainment. It's also all about Operation Fantasia in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, when the Office of Strategic Service, America's wartime intelligence agency, experimented with psychological warfare against the Japanese based on Shinto Kitsune, or fox-shaped spirits with magical abilities. That was extraordinary. It's also about stuffed foxes and or wolves in museums, Aesop's fables and the story of the fox and the grapes. And of course, who could forget, it's all about the board game Fox and Geese. Who knew? 
I, I've got a, a, a thing to an update, James. You know, my bit on foxes. I was talking about a stuffed fox in the collections of yes. the Royal Albert Memorial Museum in Exeter, which wasn't a fox, it was a wolf. I then was in Bristol and I popped into the Bristol Museum on Park Street and was met with a splendid stuffed fox. So if you're after a really nice stuffed fox, um, sort of Victorian period... Uh, that's in very good nick. Go to Bristol and have a look at it there. Uh, let me all just introduce my fellow presenter. You're probably wondering who he is. Let me just say that if history were a decade, he wouldn't just know all about it. He'd know all about five of them. If history were the population of a Roman legion, he'd have personally met and interviewed half of everyone who has ever lived. He is the man to whom centuries are realistic achievements. Professor extraordinaire of early modern British history at Plymouth University, it's James Daybell. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello, Sam. Uh, and you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say that if he were a number 50 related historian, well, although he may seem as if he's reached that genteel age, so wise is his historical counsel, so experiencedly does he sift the evidence of the past, almost sage-like is he in the judiciousness with which he deals with complex arguments, fails to bow to the weight of any historiographical graphical naysayers. Well, you may think it, but no siree, Bob. The man's no half-century historian. He's a young buck, a spring chicken, a fancy freshman. He must be 46 if he's a day. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the famous <laughs> historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. Hello, everyone. Um, so, to fill you in, if you haven't worked it out yet, um, <laughs> you should probably stop listening. Uh, James was 50, so we decided to do a podcast on the number 50, and I'm very pleased we've chosen to do one on the number 50. I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, where did you begin, James, or were you just sort of uh, uh, pleased with yourself at being 50? I was just extraordinarily pleased with myself at being 50. <laughs> this is an entirely, entirely ego-driven uh, podcast episode, as many of them are of late. Uh, and thank you for asking. I had a truly amazing uh, birthday party a superb party my friend Piers bartending his cocktail maker my friend Emma prepared a four-hour soundtrack there was conversation dancing not a historian in sight and I sat around a fire pit until 3 a.m um, and I was I was touched I got some sort of really interesting presents that were sort of history related including mm. Sam the entire complete edition of Samuel Pepys's diary, the Latham edition, which is a beautiful thing. I also, and this is, uh, I was mentioning this to you earlier, I also got bought membership of the Devon, of the Exeter and Devon Institution, which is a lovely proprietary library on the Cathedral Close in Exeter. So I shall be starting to work there. And I got a gentleman's mm. valet stand, antique wood. It was very nice. Um, Sounds great. We uh, should do those stands. <laughs> we should. Also, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit was I've been discovered this amazing um, novelist. Why I hadn't discovered her before, uh, I know about her now because she just won the Nobel Prize for Literature, a woman called Annie Erno. Uh, if you haven't read her, Sam, you would love her. Uh, she's, a, she's a writer's writer, a historian's writer, and she plays with memory. So a lot of her stuff is about everyday life, uh, and memories and things that have happened. And this actually was the sort of riff to me thinking about, you know, about 50. Because 50 for me, you can think about the symbolic nature of, of, of 50. You can think about the sort of, you know, the, the sort of it's a golden year, it's you know, you're supposed to give people gold. I got no gold, I'm afraid. It's all about <laughs> wealth and prosperity and all of those kinds of things. But actually, 
it's 50 is a is a really decent chunk of time as a historian to look at change if you think about how people measure change or study uh, history in the past think about those french annals historians and the way in which they divide historical change up into three main sort of chunks there's the long durée which basically these are big immovable sort of features of history so you're talking about uh, landscape mountains and we've talked about that in the past then you've got the sort of flotsam and jetsam of everyday events so the sort of you know histoire eventmentiel sort of the history of events which sort of is fleeting and day by day and very ra- rapid change and then you've got the sort of medium durée or the moyen durée uh, which is where you see um, societal and economic change and transformations and those ten to be about 50 years so actually it's really interesting to start thinking about 50 from the perspective of historical change and this got me thinking about you know what has happened in my lifetime over the last 50 years I was born on the 3rd of December 1972 and you can start by thinking about what was happening at that time Uh, You can start thinking about, you know, who was prime minister in the UK, Edward Heath. Um, The the Pope was St. Paul uh, VI leading the Catholic Church. Uh, The US president was Richard Nixon at this time. Uh, Chuck Berry uh, was on the UK uh, charts with my dingaling. Um, There were various sort of films. People were playing video games like Pong. Um, So all those kinds of things. Um, The other famous people were born then. Uh, um, Trey Cool, uh, who was the drummer and backup singer for the group uh, Green Day, was born in Frankfurt in West Germany. Um, Bill Johnson, the famous uh, American jazz musician, uh, died on that date. There was a very tragic airline crash uh, after it took off from Tenerife it killed it crashed and killed 150 people on board um, so also so you can think about it in those kinds of terms but I was also thinking about it in terms of how do we look at that period of 50 years from the early 70s through to 2022 and you know and the kinds of things that happened you know in in social terms we've seen enormous changes you know we we're seeing now you know a rise in certainly in the west and in 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 europe and in in north america the rise of greater inclusion and 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 social diversity um and and much greater acceptance whereas in other parts of the world we're we're seeing the the you know, particularly with the Qatar World Cup, we're seeing, you know, that certain parts of the world, you know, are not, are not, um, are not like that. Uh, and indeed, in in America, we're seeing really interesting things going on with Roe versus Wade and the attitudes towards abortion. You can think about change over that fifty-year period in terms of technology, and think about the. The increasing use of the car, air travel, cheap air travel, the digital revolution. And I was just thinking about this in terms of conversations I was having with my daughters the other day. And they've grown up at a time when they have access to smart devices, mobile phones. Yeah, everything is portable. Everything is instant. Whereas I remember back to having a phone within the house. But when you went out, having to having to use a, a payphone. When I was at university, there was a payphone outside 
my college and I had to go out there and wait with a phone card uh, for in a sort of line of people in order to phone home on a weekly basis just to chat to my parents on a on a Sunday evening and so there's a real sort of shift there think about the psycho uh, think about the scientific and medical discoveries that have been had over this time the economic sort of change you know emergence of multinational forces, trade, logistics, globalization of supply chains, the power of China. Think about the political map, the redrawing of the world order over those 50 years, the Iron Curtain falling, the revolutions of 89, globalization, the decline of Britain, China emerging as a superpower, Russia resurgent, uh, explosion in population in India, which will probably overtake China as one of the most popular countries. And then, of course, in ecological terms, the the trouble that we've we've seen in terms of you know the climate emergency um has sort of and the way in which that is coming you know really to sort of boiling point uh at the moment so what other things do you think you could you sort of what have i missed there sam over the last 50 years or so oh over the last 50 years i'm not sure well <laughs> you put me on the spot james no, no, I'm not what, sure about in marit- what about in the maritime world what's oh, happened well, what's mean- happened there I think the way that people are transporting um, energy around the world has fundamentally changed in the fifty those the last you know half century. I think that's what's really changed. And you have um, uh, liquefied natural gas, particularly now, mm. which is a much more uh, greener way of doing things. I, I think I suppose that's the real key, the key thing in terms of environment and the maritime world. Mm. Now, I had a long, long think about all sorts of things. I, I thought. We've done numbers before. We did number seven for our book on the Romans. And um, I just suddenly became interested in numbers generally. And I, because it's near Christmas, I was thinking about Christmas Day being on the 25th and the whole history of the establishment of Christmas and how there are there are some significant and interesting numbers in the Bible. Um, ten is an obvious one. So you have the Ten Commandments. And if you actually look at those commandments... Um, uh, it's quite clear that the number 10 wasn't arbitrarily chosen. There aren't 50 commandments. They would be quite difficult to remember what they are. And in fact, a lot of the commandments that do exist can, I think, be um, rolled into rolled into one or two or three um, to reduce the overall number down to maybe six or seven. But there are 10, and there are 10 because um, the people who wrote the Bible um, or this aspect of it did so with a very conscious... Uh, bent in wanting to create a story that was easy to remember and that would survive the years that had a certain number of power. So that choice of 10 commandments wasn't arbitrarily chosen. Um, Another number is 50, which is um, when uh, Pentecost is the time of Pentecost. That's 50 days after Christ's resurrection. Um, And so I didn't really go much further into this, but I'd really quite like to actually to think about the ways that the Bible was constructed as a means to help people remember the stories. Um, so, yeah, my, my first stop was the kind of the suspicious neatness of timings and dates in the Bible, James. And then that made me think about um, other significant dates. So 50 makes sense uh, for uh, someone celebrating that half a century. But then there are these other significant dates in our lives that are not so obviously what, like why they are there. 21 being an age of majority. I suddenly thought, well, why isn't it 20 or why isn't it 25? Um, looked into this a bit and uh, actually it turns out that the highest known age of majority in, in his historical terms was 30, um, which was in, in the Roman period. 
Um, and before then, uh, you have young adult males are placed under the guardianship of adults known as curatories, whose permission was needed to engage in all sorts of formal acts and sign contracts and things before the youth uh, reached the age of 30. It was then lowered to 25 and eventually to 21. Um, so it seems that the origins of 21 does come from the Roman Empire, which I'm not really surprised about. Uh, but then there were changes in the medieval period. Medieval England, the age of majority, was actually 15, uh, but then it was raised to 21. So it went in the other directions. Um, so, yeah, James, I just started thinking about the significance of numbers, age numbers in our lives and how this has um, a real potential uh, for a bit of historical investigation. So on the one hand, you have obvious round numbers like 50 that make kind of sense to celebrate and then other ones that don't and that must have an interesting history, whether it's uh, the age of majority at 14 or 17 or 21, whatever it may be. Mm. And that that the number 50 also has... Uh relevance to other religions as well so the jewish pentecost takes place 50 days after passover mm. um you know there traditionally 50 is the number of years in a jubilee period uh in the kabbalah there are 50 gates of wisdom 50 gates of impurity you know so so you know that one day internationals uh, each side bats for 50 overs so there's significance everywhere 50 states in the united in the United States, although the 51st state. Um, so all sorts of things. But I sort of started thinking about, uh, sort of laterally, and was thinking about the £50 uh, banknote, uh, mm. which was introduced in England uh, for the first time in 1725. And it has a really interesting history that is quite historical. It's a history not simply about banking technology. Um, it starts in 1725 basically as a handwritten promissory note you know so basically it was it was handwritten um and it um it had a declaration that you promised to pay the pay the bearer on the demand the sum of 50 pounds uh this is later uh, then printed on and then it goes through a whole sort of series of changes and what they do is they change the color they change the design but also, interestingly, they start putting historically significant figures on it. And that's something that I wanted to that I wanted to chat about, because I think, you know, what we've got there is the sort of encapsulation of the heritage of the nation put on the on the banknote. Uh, Alan Turing is on the latest uh, banknote. And this came about because the committee in the Bank of England got together, they had some sort of experts on it, and they decided that they wanted to um, they wanted to sort of celebrate uh, the country's sort of science, and they got over um, almost over quarter of a million nominations for almost a thousand different scientists. Uh, so they drew up a shortlist. Uh, which included Alan McMasters, Frederick Sanger, Ernest Rutherford, um, James Clark Maxwell, Dorothy Hodgkin, Ada Lovelace, Caroline Herschel, William Herschel, Rosalind Franklin, um, Paul Dirac, Mary Anning, uh, who I know you know lots about, uh, and also Alan Turing. And it was eventually decided that he would be um, the, you know, the face for it. And so... 
I just wanted to talk through a little bit this this history. And I was reading a really lovely interview with the chief cashier at the Bank of England, uh, Sarah John, about the history of the £50 banknote. And basically, over 300 years, how its design has has changed. Um, and the article I was reading had some lovely sort of manuscript editions of the or reprints of the original specimen £50 uh, notes. And you can see that they're, they're handwritten. And then effectively... Part of it is printed, so a little sort of printed thing, and then you write in the sort of to pay the promise to pay the bearer, and you put the name of the bearer, you put the the place, you put the um, you put the the date, uh, and then it is signed, um, and then later on it gets stamped as as paid once it is once it is put in. Now it, later on, this this was then printed, um, and then there are a series of sort of changes that are made so basically there is a new uh, introduced um, in a series d uh, introduced on the 20th of march 1981 which ran through to the 20th of september uh, 1996 that was when it was last legal tender and it was last issued in 1994 this is the one that i remember this is probably the last time i have ever had a 50 pound note uh, when i was given it as a child as a sort of birthday present and it it was olive green, you know, largely in colour. Of course, white. It has the the monarchs, a picture of the monarch uh, on one side of it. So Queen Elizabeth II will soon be getting the Charles the um, Third uh, banknotes. Uh, I imagine. So it's the first bank fifty pound note to carry a portrait of the monarch, um, and then there is also a security thread running through it from July 1988 onwards and then on the back of it uh, they put uh, a portrait of Christopher Wren and it's really interesting to think about how they came up with the the idea of, of Christopher Wren on it. Um, it, it this banknote was first printed in 1981 as I said um, and it was designed by the British artist Harry Eccleston and what happened was they got a design committee together which was composed of the Governor of the Bank of England, other external advisors, art historians, other senior bank officials and then they drew up a list of candidates for who could go on it and then it was the governor at the time a man called Gordon Richardson who then decided you know which was the final choice and one of the things is they wanted somebody who was going to be you know who was very important had had an impact on the country and they saw it as something that defined British cultural heritage and so there there this was then replaced in 1994 uh, with a 1994 note and they use this as an opportunity to take Christopher Wren off it and to put another uh, famous person on it. These are the Series E banknotes which feature uh, Sir John Hoobland. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he was in fact the first governor of the Bank of England who lived between 1632 and 1712. Um, a similar sort of way, there was a sort of group of people together um, and it was the governor's, uh, the governor Eddie George at the time, who was governor of the Bank of England in 1994, who decided to you know, put him on the on on the note. The change of colour as well is also interesting from red. Um, and then in 2011, yet another 
banknote is introduced, this time with two other uh, famous individuals, Matthew Bolton and James Watt. Now, what they these were entrepreneurs, um, engineers, scientists. They were people who were at the heart of the Industrial Revolution. They formed a partnership to develop and market steam engines, which I think we've talked about uh, in the past. Um, and they were, you know, they were, you know, there to signify the importance of industrialists and the industrial world uh, of Britain uh, during the late 18th and 19th century. There's also another, not, not only does the colour change uh, here, but also there is a, an opportunity when you're changing banknotes to introduce other uh, security features. And there is a new technology called a motion thread, uh, which is used for the first time um, through the note. So it's, a, it's basically where you have a, a thread that is woven through the paper uh, and basically there so that you can that you can see it and that you can test it um, and stop uh, and stop fraud and then of course we have a new the latest uh, banknote uh, the 2021 banknote is the Alan Turing uh, banknote um, and this is uh, this as I said was um, was nominated by the public and then chosen uh, by the committee. Uh, and Turing, we've talked about in in the past, you know, very famous uh, as a code breaker during the Second World War. He you know, came up with the Enigma code that broke the German code during the Second World War and really shifted the Allied advantage. But he's also somebody who is is foundational in early computing. Um, and also laid the foundations for uh, research into artificial intelligence because you know this was a man who I think he was at the University of Manchester, the National Physical Laboratory as well. Um, and, what, and what he was interested in is the idea of whether computers could think. So there we are, Sam. The 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 number fifty is all about the the fifty pound banknote and who we consider historically significant enough or to have enough sort of cultural heritage to be the the sort of iconic figures on the back of our banknotes millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Lovely stuff. It's a kind of a gateway to more history, isn't it? Oh, it certainly um, is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you all could have also look into issues of people finding a £50 note reliable and actually mm. trusting it. And that mm. definitely has its own history because, you know, mm. we think, oh, £50 note, that's worth 50 quid. But it didn't necessarily happen like that. And I think trust in finance is um, a very interesting history indeed. Uh, you mentioned the 50 states of America, James. I, as a historian of the American Revolution, um, wanted to talk a little bit about that. Oh, excellent. So uh, the, the key thing of how, to, how you know, you've got 13 colonies turning into, 30 English colonies turning into 50 American states. And um, there is no specific reason that there are 50. Um, you know, back in 1959, there were 48. Uh, and then that changed with the addition of the territories of Alaska in 1959 and then Hawaii also in 1959. Those dates are not um, insignificant at all. The influence of the Cold War. Um, think about the geographies of where we're talking about. Alaska and Hawaii being uh, very important if you think you're about America being in conflict with Russia and allowing them to... Um, provide a fairly significant buffer zone to the heartland of America. Also, the rise of Japan, very important here as well, um, specifically to America wanting to control Hawaii, but also goes back to Captain Cook. So I just want to talk very briefly about how the 50th state became the 50th state, and the 50th state is, of course, Hawaii. Now, for those of you who are watching what's going on in the Ukraine, um, you might find some fairly similar um, parallels here. Um in, in a word, or in a sentence, sorry, uh, the, the 50th state, Hawaii, became the 50th state because of the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom um, by Americans. Um, in the 19th century, the Hawaiian kingdom existed. It was an independent state. Um, and uh, because of that, there were your standard diplomatic exchanges there were consular representatives there was the agreement of treaties i mean the hawaiian kingdom specifically entered into three treaties with the united states the 1849 treaty of friendship commerce and navigation the 1875 commercial treaty of reciprocity the 1883 convention concerning the exchange of money orders and in fact in 1893 the hawaiian kingdom maintains over 90 legations and consulates throughout the world um, which is fascinating in america they've got presence in new york san francisco philadelphia san diego boston portland port townsend and seattle and um there is reciprocity here i can't say the word reciprocity, um, so the united, <laughs> reciprocity here uh, the united states have also got legations in hawaii um not just in honolulu but in three other locations as well and it all um Falls apart, goes wrong in the 1890s, and the Americans um, gain control by illegally taking it over. To understand why, you need to go back to um, the first European uh, contact here, James Cook, arriving in 1778, um, and the knowledge that it would be a very valuable place to grow sugar. 
um, and the first permanent plantations. It takes ages to get them there, but by 1835, you've got the first permanent sugar plantations. Uh, but within 30 years, sugar has completely altered Hawaii's economy. Now, with a lot of money coming into the islands, you get uh, American-born plantation owners then uh, advocate for more representation. They're paying great tax contributions towards uh, the Hawaiian kingdom and specifically towards the Hawaiian royal family. Um, it's all driven by a kind of missionary religion as well, underlining all of this. And it just leads to an increasing American takeover and interest in what's going on in Hawaii. And they also see Hawaii as a really important gateway to Asian markets. It's strategically important as a mid-Pacific stopover for military and merchant ships. And this is all happening at a period when you've got the rise of Japan as a significant maritime and naval power. So you can see how and why American interest in Hawaii grows. All comes down to the 16th day of January in 1893, uh, the middle of the afternoon, and a detachment of marines are sent out from the American steamer Boston, and they go ashore. Um, it's important to add here that this is all authorised uh, by America's envoy in Hawaii. It is not an official American um, operation. Nonetheless, uh, these troops land with two pieces of artillery. There are only 160 of them, uh, but they come, you know, threatening enough with all of their weapons. And it's actually organised by something called the Committee of Safety, uh, which reminds me of the Committee of Public Safety in the French Revolution. Now, this Committee of Safety um, is apparently quite sinister as well. Um, you've got seven foreign residents and six non-native Hawaiian kingdom subjects um, of American descent. And what they do is essentially they depose the Queen. Um, on the uh, the 17th of January, uh, the chairman addresses a crowd in front of the uh, the palace and um, abolishes the Hawaiian monarchy. Um, now, the queen then, this is Queen Lili Uokalani. She releases a statement uh, yielding authority to the Americans, which I thought I'd read out because it's very sad. I, Lili Uokalani, by the grace of God and under the constitution of the Hawaiian kingdom, queen, do hereby solemnly protest against any and all acts done against myself and the constitutional government of the Hawaiian kingdom by certain persons claiming to have established a provisional government of and for this kingdom. That I yield to the superior force of the United States of America, whose minister plenipotentiary, His Excellency John L. Stevens, has caused United States troops to be landed at Honolulu and declared that he would support the said provisional government. Now, to avoid any collision of armed forces and perhaps the loss of life, I do, under this protest and impelled by said force, yield my authority until such time as the government of the United States shall, upon the facts being presented to it, undo the action of its representatives and reinstate me in the authority which I claim as the constitutional sovereign of the Hawaiian Islands." Now, this is just the first stage of it. This is 1893. Remember, I said at the beginning that Hawaii doesn't become a full state until the 1950s. And this is all wrapped up in American politics, um, uh, which is fascinating. And also the, the threat of 
um, the threat coming from Japan, which was made so clear in the Second World War, and then the rise of Russia um, and and the Cold War, which is why it doesn't actually become a state. But the initial impetus here for American interests to seize control of Hawaii goes all the way back to the um, uh, mid-19th century. And those are the roots and very shocking roots, and very sad roots when you look into the history of it, of how Hawaii became the 50th state of America. Excellent, Sam Willis. I think that's a great place to stop. Yeah. Guys, I hope you enjoyed our History of 50 for James's birthday. Perhaps in a few years' time, or if we're still doing Histories of the Unexpected, we might be able to talk about my 50th birthday, but we'll have to uh, hold on for that. Do please follow me on social media. I'm at Dr Sam Willis. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you're interested in maritime and naval history and how it shaped the world, do please listen to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. And you can follow me on social media on Twitter at James Daybell. You can follow the podcast at Unexpected Pod. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. You should check out our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com. We have sign books, uh, which make excellent Christmas presents. Also, if you'd like to support us in helping to change the way in which we think about the past, head over to patreon.com and anything you can help with to support what we're doing would be very gratefully appreciated. But meanwhile, um, take care and see you soon. Cheerio, guys. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.